0: hello regeneration just seems like things continue to not look good want to lift up all those affected by the fires in the Bay Area and just to let you know um, right now talking to several Bay Area pastors to see how regeneration can be of help and support to those churches um, more news to come right now working with uh, Church in the peninsula to get a semi over to Santa Cruz um, to deliver tents and water to all of those who have had to evacuate their homes, uh, some of them losing their homes. Uh, on a better news, uh, we have several people in our church who want to get baptized, and we're working out details for that as well. Uh, so if you're interested, in getting baptized, please be in touch with me or Stephanie so that we can send you more information in the weeks to come. We're looking at uh, sometime in September to be able to do that. I want to also take this opportunity to thank Dr. Bashirs for sharing with us last week about worry, a very timely message, and I received some feedback as to how timely that was and relevant that was for some of you. Uh, Dr. Brashears has been really instrumental in my spiritual growth the last few years as I've been in seminary and thank God for putting people in my life like him who give me wise counsel and pray for me and also give me a good kick in the butt from time to time. And as many of you have already heard, Billy will will be moving to the Midwest where the Barnetts are going to be closer to Bethany's family. Billy's one of my best friends and I'll miss him. I recruited him from Ireland a few years ago and he's done so much for our church. So many people that he's served and loved, ministered to, so many of our homeless community have been blessed by him and there have been many folks whom Billy has ministered to and many of us won't even know who they are, but God does. He's going to bring his heart to love and serve the forgotten no matter where he goes and I am sad. I'm sad that he, Bethany, Sive, Lachlan, they're all leaving and I'm also excited to see what the Lord will continue to do in his life, his family's life. Um, Billy serves as a huge encouragement to me because anytime I get discouraged in ministry I just need to think about Billy and I see what God does for those who humbly submit their lives to Jesus. Today we'll be closing 2 John, and then we'll head into 3 John next week, so feel free to read ahead and study, meditate 3 John this week. And before closing out 2 John, I'd like to take some time here to reorient ourselves before we look at our verses today by reading the same phrase found in 2 John 1, verse 4, as well as 3 John 1, verses 3 and 4, And that's this phrase, walking in the truth. Walking in the truth, which caused John to rejoice greatly as he wrote that in those respective verses. Now, why would John rejoice greatly that those in the church were walking in the truth? Well, we need to think about truth and the definition of truth. And it might differ from some of you, uh, which I'm going to talk about a little bit, but truth in, I think, its truest form is definite, it's constant, and it's consistent. If it's not those things, then they aren't truth. Truth is not vague. Truth is not variable. Truth is impartial. Truth is absolute. Truth does not evolve based on our own social constructs and ideas. Truth is revealed by God concerning himself in the embodiment of Jesus. It is Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how do we arrive at truth? Historically, there would be these opposing views, And then these views would kind of battle it out to arrive to truth. Now, for example, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that would be a view. And then there would be opposing views to contest it. And there would be rival views that would be up for debate. Now, things have changed. Today, the idea of truth as something that is universal, fixed, objective, defined, verifiable, is thought to be antiquated which makes truth to be a very challenging topic to talk about today, which also makes 2nd and 3rd John very difficult to preach and teach through. But let's take the very word truth, and if this very word truth is not universal, fixed, objective, defined, verifiable, then what is there to talk about? The evolution of modern day philosophical thought has been moving to set itself apart from the certainties of the modern day. The things that were once regarded as absolute and fixed has changed, which is really kind of funny because then what do those words even mean anymore? If the idea of absolute and fixed has changed, then why do we even have those words? How people think has changed. And this is where things have become more challenging as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that It has become a trendy thing to be uncertain or vague or clueless. People appreciate the answer, I don't know. And that includes inside of the church. And I, for one, admit that I like that answer because partly it's, it's humble, and also it's, it's honest. But there are things that we want to be definite, fixed, absolute. We want those answers. For example, in medicine, if something is wrong health-wise with someone that we deeply care about, we don't want the medical team to be insecure, vague, uncertain, unclear. We want them to be honest and humble, but if they don't know, and our loved ones' lives are on the line, then we want to know that they don't know so that we have the option to go somewhere else to find what we need. And so this is the truth that we have as Christians. We have the truth concerning the everlasting life of people, spiritual well-being of people. We know how they can live and not die. We know how people can be born again. We have the truth that is universal fixed, objective, defined, verifiable in Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we walk in the truth which is something that we can be humble about, we can be honest about, and there are things that we also can admit that we don't know, but when it comes to Jesus Christ and that he gives us everlasting life through him, we know this. When it comes to what God's word, God's truth, tell us, we know this. We aren't clueless about the things in the Bible. Christianity is Truth And the problem isn't Christianity. The problem is with the people who call themselves Christians. Christians who don't model Christianity with integrity, that's the problem. It's not Christianity. The Christian faith is truth. And this is what the letter is addressing. John is addressing truth and love, both. Not one or the other, or one by itself. Truth without love is Unkind. And love without truth is just sentimentalism. We need both. And John is warning about deceivers who are good at deception, deceivers who sound truthful without sounding loving, maybe. Or maybe they do sound loving and truthful, and so this is why it's deceptive. And so John is telling us how to identify them, because these deceivers are very convincing in presenting their truth, not the truth, their truth, and sounding loving. But this their truth is not necessarily the truth. And so he identifies them with verses 7 and 9. Let's start with verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. The truth is Jesus Christ is eternal and perfect in nature as fully human and fully divine. Jesus Christ was not created. He never had a sin nature. He is both fully human and fully divine. And if this truth is not confessed by a person, that person is a deceiver. The simple doctrinal test to see if a person is a Christian is their view of Jesus Christ. And the question to ask is, does that person who professes to be a Christian have a view of Jesus that is true to the revelation provided for us in the Bible? John uses a very interesting phrase here in verse 7. He says, for many deceivers have gone into the world. John also wrote the Gospel of John and in John chapter 17 verse 18 he wrote this about Jesus or he quotes Jesus as you sent me into the world so i have sent them into the world as Jesus sends bearers of truth out to the world the evil one has deceivers Go out into the world. And we know the evil one is more crafty, according to Genesis 3, and that he has this agenda to destroy people's lives. Take a look at 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We're going to circle back to verse 8 a little bit later. Because we're going to look at the second identifier of a deceiver in verse 9. But I just want to really briefly point out John's concern for the church in verse 8. In that he writes to us, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Now both Peter and John warn us to be watchful. Why? Because deceivers aren't obvious. They're deceptive. They're close to the truth. They can even be loving. Now, John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. God can only be known through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now back to 2 John, verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's the second way to identify a deceiver. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Second identifier, those who do not abide in the teachings of Christ don't have God. There's nothing new. There's nothing different. There's nothing improved that completes the gospel of Jesus Christ that has already been provided to us. Jesus Christ is complete in himself. His birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension is complete. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing more to add, nothing more to be taken away. Any addition is not truth. When Christians say, Jesus is Lord... We are identifying Jesus as God. Those three words are actually the first three words that each of my children heard when they were born, right when they were delivered and they gave each one of my daughters to me. That's the, the first thing I said into their ears that I whispered to them is, Jesus is Lord. And it wasn't because it was a statement of devotion on my part It's that I'm identifying who Jesus is as Lord, who we confess Jesus to be. To believe what God did is so powerful. And Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not saying that you can't just physically say it with your mouth because anyone can say that, but do you really believe that? See, deceivers can say it, but do they really believe it? Deceivers don't have the Holy Spirit to be able to confess and believe. John dealt with deceivers in his day, and and we we are still dealing with deceivers today. The, The true Christian confesses Christ, believes Christ, continues to abide in Christ. Now, what we confess, believe, and abide in are all based on truth. Truth is... What is confessed, believed, abided in? This is one of the big issues the Christian church is dealing with today. We are disregarding truth found in the word of God. And we're looking for truth in in social constructs to direct our confession, to direct our beliefs, to direct our abiding. We're looking at the world to define truth for us, which is a very extremely dangerous thing to do. Why? Why? How can this be so dangerous to let the world and what we experience in it define for us what is truth? We have to look back to First John chapter five, verse 19, which has been ministering to me so much. As of late, because we're going through this pandemic with COVID, we're going through these racial injustices through, with our nation, and now we have these fires, and we have all these different things that are going on that we don't even know about that is negatively affecting people because they are not able to be in community. And in First John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we wonder why. The Bible is clear. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Who is the evil one? John chapter 8 verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is not truth in him when he lies. He speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the truth of the word of God. And yet there are so many who are seeking to find truth elsewhere. In the world which is in the power of the evil one. So people are being deceived. People are being lied to. And John gives us some warnings along with those two identifiers found in verses 7 and 9. Identifiers of these deceivers clearly shown to us in verses 7 and 9. And then he issues this first warning found in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, John is not writing about salvation that is going to be lost because that is a gift. It's not earned. It's by grace, through faith. That was a gift from God. John is writing about losing our faithfulness, that we would be faithful to the end. And this is also what Peter writes about. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-12, through 12, he writes this, For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore... Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. We have it. We have the truth. We have the word of God. Watch out. Don't be deceived. Matthew and Mark record in the gospel accounts that Jesus himself said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. People mess with the truth all the time. And we will be influenced by them. The people that we listen to, the books that we read, every input that we have coming into us, they all contribute into how we'll be able to discern truth. Now, I'm not proposing that we never listen to opposing views because I personally confess to you that I do. I listen to opposing views. I read books that I don't agree with. And it's for me to learn what's influencing the world. And yet I still have to be very careful that I'm receiving all of these inputs in light of the word of God to the best of my ability. And to be prayerful about those things and humble about those things. And I encourage you with Jesus' own words, watch out that no one deceives you. So as you listen, as you read, as you have all of these different inputs coming into you, watch out. Watch out. It's really sad to witness those who have been swept away by worldly wisdom. To witness those who haven't watched out and therefore they've lost out. How do you know that you've lost out? Well, certain things start happening. The, the things you once had, like your faith, they aren't growing, but they're deteriorating. The conviction that you once had that, that stirred you isn't there anymore. That enthusiasm that you had about your faith in God and fellowship and worship and prayer, study, That's all fading. And that influence you once had is like it's on a, a dimmer switch and it's just getting darker and darker and less bright. The relationships you have aren't the ones that are drawing you closer to God and closer to his people. They're actually pulling you further away from him and his people. And you're not becoming more faithful looking to Jesus. You're becoming more mistrusting and looking to the world. Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. We we must stay with the truth. We must walk in the truth. There, There have been too many compromises in the truth, and I think a lot of it is based in fear, fear of being accused of bigotry, fear of being... Accused of discrimination, fear of being accused of hatred, or some phobia. Walking in the truth matters. The truth grounded in the authority of Scripture, the the Biblical foundation of Christian faith, and, and the submission to Biblical orthodoxy matters. Watch out, don't be deceived. And that's the first instruction. The second one is found in verse 9, which is also an identifier in the first part. But it reads, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, that's the identifier, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So the first one is watch out. The second one is abide. John chapter 8, verses 31, 32. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in God's word isn't simply just knowing it, because the evil one, the devil, knows God's word. He just doesn't live it. We we abide by faithfully knowing and living the word of God with integrity. And we can't live the word of God in isolation, You you can't abide in God's word alone. It has to be lived out with other people. Abiding in God's word is practiced amongst community, amongst others. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're not just helping ourselves in time of need, we're helping others. Which is why we're looking to help others during this time of crisis with all these fires in the Bay Area. See, we we exercise grace in helping others in time of need. Not because they deserve it. We don't even know who they are. We help even if they don't deserve it. That's what grace is. We, we pray for people who don't deserve it. That's grace. We need others to prove the truth that we are like our Lord Jesus Christ. To draw near to Jesus Christ in confidence. Who is the provider of that grace that we are sharing with others. How do you know you're saved? You persevere. The evidence that you're saved right now is that you're persevering in your faith right now. You're not disregarding the Word of God. You're not living, believing contrary to the Scriptures. It matters how we live, it matters what we know, what we believe. The truth will set you free. And it's not your truth. It's not my truth. It is the truth. It is not the world's truth. And Jesus says he is the truth. So the first identifier of a deceiver and what John is warning us about, he's saying, watch out. And then the second one is abide. Does that person abide or not abide? So watch out that they, how they view Christ. How do they view Christ? And so there's these instructions that John is continuing to go with. Watch out, abide. And here's the third one. Do not enable deception. Don't enable deception. Verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his t- this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. It seems kind of harsh, you know, hospitality is such a high value for us in the Christian faith, but in offering hospitality, we need to be mindful about how much we engage with others that will influence us, those around us, in such a way that it pulls us away from Christ. And also, are we then affirming what they believe by... Extending this sort of a hospitality? Are we approving of what they are bringing into the church? Now John is instructing the church not to receive deceivers. He's not instructing the church to stop serving the poor or others who don't believe what we believe. That's not what he's saying. The context of the first century church that he wrote to was that there were these false teachers who would come through town and into these churches and then they would lead people away from the truth. That these false teachers were reliant on the local church to provide their food and their shelter for them. And he's saying, don't, don't enable their deception. Now that's not happening to us all the time. Maybe it does. Maybe there's some person who comes through who claims that they're somebody and they want to teach or something. And if that's the case, we don't want to enable their deception. That we don't let them teach here. Now, of course, we're courteous with people who disagree with us in the Bible, but but we're not going to give them the platform to deceive other people. And that's happened quite a few times in my tenure here at the church over 20 years, where quite a few people have come through and they want to teach at the church and they say they have a message, they have a prophetic voice, they have something to share. And then we talk to them and we say no if it's deceptive, if it's not biblical, if it's not truth. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I can relate to this a lot right now. Rather than doing this virtually, that I wish we were face to face. I think that's more complete of joy. But as John had some things that were hindering that, namely his age at the time, and right now we have this pandemic that is forbidding us to gather face to face. But we as a church, we greet each one of you. We share in this joy, especially as some of you walk in the truth. That we can rejoice greatly with that. I'm thankful for John and his letter, his exhortation to walk in the truth, his warnings to us to watch out, to abide, to not enable deception. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the insight to watch out for deceivers, that we would be able to identify them. And as John has shared with us, how they portray Christ, how they live. Lord, I ask for your empowerment to have us abide in you, to not enable deception. Lord, we're grateful for your servant, John. We pray, Lord, that we would take your word to heart, that we would take truth, to heart, that we would not go to the way of the world and let the world shape our truth, but that your word is truth, and that is what shapes us. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, if you have your communion elements, let's break those out and share this time of communion with each other. The bread symbolizing the body of Christ, That perfect plan, Jesus Christ was not created. He is eternal. There was a plan always to bring those of us who have been separated from God back to God, to be reconciled to God. And this was the price that had to be paid. Perfect man, perfect God, dying in our place because the wages of sin is death and he paid them for us. And so we take this in remembrance of what Christ did for us. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. the Sacrifice that was made for us. We take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and also in remembrance that he has a promise that he's returning for us. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these symbols and the sacrament that we are to do regularly, to always reflect and remember what you did for us. Thank you for this gracious gift of everlasting life.